This is Soundstage founder Doug Schneider. You're listening to the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast, your semi-regular deep dive into news, facts, opinions, and anecdotes about everything that really matters in the world of high-performance audio. Hosts Brent Butterworth and Dennis Berger have more than five decades worth of audio product testing experience and a few hours of podcasting experience as well. Now, here's Brent and Dennis. Hello, this is the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast. I am Brent Butterworth, editor of Soundstage Solo. And I am Dennis Berger, editor of Soundstage Access. And we are here today to share with you the latest and most important news in audio. What are we starting off with this week, man? We are going to start off with the CES show, Consumer Electronics Show. Are we allowed to call it that anymore? I thought I it was just, just CES, call it CES these days. Yeah. Well, yeah. they changed. They changed the, the, that organization changes their name and the name of the show like every two years. <laughs> uh, but what yeah. what everyone knows is CES in Las Vegas just wrapped up uh, mm-hmm. as we as we speak yesterday, mm-hmm. and I was there. Um, but we're going so. to we're going to look at a couple of articles talking about what the greatest audio products were at the mm-hmm. show and kind of talk about those products, maybe talk about a uh, little state of the art of the, where that shows at right now. Yeah. And next, next up, there is a video from the headphone show, which I, I believe is the YouTube channel for headphones.com. Um, mm-hmm. They've got a new video. They've got two new videos up actually. One of them, the first one, I think is probably the one we latched onto or the one I latched onto. I want to ask you some questions about it. I want to pick your brain. Uh, the headline is provocatively titled Say Goodbye to the Harman Target. Yeah. And there is a follow up called New Headphone Measurement Target FAQ. I mm. want to pick your brain. See what you think about that. See what we can learn from that. See if okay. any of this is valid. And uh, what are we wrapping up with this week? Uh, we're going to wrap up with a very special segment that'll be uh, a big surprise to a lot of people in which I I admit defeat. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. That is a lot. That is yeah. a lot. Before we get there, though, I got a long road to travel first. Let's yeah. start in Las Vegas. CES. Okay. So um, I was there. Yeah. The show has has taken a lot of hits, right? But it's yeah. it was back in what I'm going to kind of call full force, an attempt at full force this year. Mm-hmm. And Vegas was crowded again. The hotel rooms were expensive again. It was not like last year. And mm-hmm. the show floor was kind of it's busy in places. The South Hall, which is where all the headphone people and a lot of the video gaming people and a lot of computer type stuff used to be was completely shut down really interesting and that's like and that that's a big hall that's two stories and each story is the size of umpteen football fields so did Um, they now the last time i went was 2018 i think uh and it was all three sections of the Las Vegas Convention Center and also a lot over at the Sands Convention Center as well, yeah. like a whole yep. four there. And then like it certainly wasn't there wasn't as much presence in the Venetian as there used to be. But there were still like a couple of floors of the Venetian. So you're saying they shut down South Hall. Was there mm-hmm. still the Sands and the Venetian and all of that? Well, or? the Sands Convention Center is now called the Venetian Convention Center. Um, oh, OK, but that whole big convention space was i think it was kind of sort of full ish hmm, okay and 
but in the Venetian, no. In, you know, the, in, in the old, you know, where you used to go up into the towers and you, you go to hotel rooms and hear audio products. No, there were extremely few companies up there. I went on one floor to go see one company and there were like three companies there on the mm-hmm. whole floor. It used to be like you'd go in there be 50. Yeah. So yeah, you, you uh, couldn't do the entire Venetian in one day if, you know, if no. audio was your focus. So. so the article I found, just to kind of reference this, is since I, I didn't actually do an article about this anywhere, um, Tech Radar had a kind of rundown of the best at CES. It's not entirely clear to me that, that this writer, what's his name again? Hamish, Hamish Hector. Hector. Yeah. Man, that is a cool a name really cool name. for yeah. anything. Yeah. Anything. <laughs> yeah. That's almost NPR levels of cool. Yeah. yeah. So uh, anyway, but I don't think he went to the show. They're showing all supplied artwork and there's some of the stuff I don't think was actually at the show. Mm, uh, you know, yeah. He shows a Focal system, but to my knowledge, Focal was not showing. And a couple things he did, he does have in here. He has the Audio-Technica Soundburger, which is the portable... Uh, record player which came out last year and they sold out like instantly it was like a 60th anniversary edition and it's very yeah. very cool i have one but they're coming out oh. with a non you know like a regular non 60th anniversary version mm-hmm. it's like a little portable bluetooth record player so you can play your records and it beams to a bluetooth speaker yeah um as he points out there were a few sound bars there the, the most exciting of which i heard white by far was the JBL, I'm trying to remember, he has the model name in here, the Bar 1300X. It's about, I think it was $1,600. Mm-hmm. Um, no, $1,700. It has like detachable surround speakers, and uh, but they, I, they actually had a cutaway or, or, or a, a version of it that showed you all the drivers. It was just a tour de force of engineering. Oh, cool. And, I mean... Just the little surround speakers that are detachable have, oh boy, let's see if I can remember this. Each one of them has a woofer and a tweeter, two passive radiators, and an upfiring Atmos speaker. Mm, and okay. this is in like the size of a, of, uh, oh, like if you go buy like a paperback of War and Peace, it's about like that. Okay. Um, War okay. and Peace, for all those who don't know, being a famously <laughs> extremely long and boring book. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, um, but it was amazing. They demoed it for me, and I, I swear, I, I, I don't think, I think had I not known it was a soundbar, I would have thought it was a full-on, you know. Interesting. Uh, Atmos speaker system. So, so I've heard a lot of people saying that exact sentence coming out of the show, but it wasn't about the JBL. It was actually about the new uh, Nakamichi Dragon. Did you have a chance to hear that? No. And yeah, a lot of people. Now, these are all of the same people who are a few years ago were saying that the, the, the Sennheiser Ambio was the first soundbar they'd ever heard that could replace a true surround sound system. Now they're blah, saying the exact same blah, thing about the Nakamichi blah. Dragon, but the Nakamichi Dragon is just a beast. It's 31 drivers. It's an 11.4.6 channel soundbar system, like four subwoofers around the room. And, and you can actually like you you can dial in the angle of the up firing atmos module speakers in the soundbar and in the surround modules mm-hmm. um it's crazy it's like 
I was like 3500 bucks or something like that. But I noticed that Hamish didn't cover it. And did you did you get to hear it? Did you hear anything about it? No, nor 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 did they invite me to their booth. And I, I just reviewed some of their products. I interesting think they would have invited me. So I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of stuff I've seen in coverage that, like I said, I'm not sure if it was actually at the show, but that, mm, that sound bar okay. is like 4,000 bucks to the Nakamichi. Um, yeah, yeah. Interesting that they're calling it the Dragon, too. So that's, well, that's like, a name that Nakamichi pulls out every couple of decades, applies <laughs> yeah. it to something. So, yeah, legendary tape deck for people who don't know. And I think they also followed that up with what, like a, like they had a turntable called the dragon as well a few years later and then a cd player i called think the so it's kind of like fighter plane names they just keep resurrecting them for yeah just yeah. for marketing purposes um yeah but, but you didn't hear that thing, one so but the no, JBL, didn't hear you it. did hear and you were impressed it was really really good um there were almost no headphones there uh you know jbl Whoa. had a couple of new things but I don't think anything groundbreaking. One thing that is interesting that's a new trend is like JBL and somebody else, I can't remember who, showed true wireless headphones where they actually have a little touchscreen on the true wireless headphone charging case. Yeah. Which So you can control some of the modes and things like that from the case rather than trying to do it through cryptic, you know, touch you know, touch it yeah. three times on the right earpiece to do this <laughs> and two times in the left earpiece to do this, like Morse code or something. We talked and, about a that a little bit in the last episode, but did you actually get hands on with it this time at that CES? No. Okay. No. You just didn't see it. <laughs> just saw it. Yeah. But um, anyway, that's interesting, though. That's a that's potentially a good trend. But the, the, the one product I saw at the show that really blew me away was Brain Audio, B-R-A-N-E. Mm. And... They have a new wireless speaker. I think it was 9.3 inches wide and like seven inches deep and uh, seven inches high, maybe something like that. And it's got this radical new woofer technology. And, you know, as soon as somebody says radical new driver technology, I just start going, this is <laughs> But because so often it does, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, airliners, the <laughs> people figured out what works and they just keep doing the same thing now. Yeah. And speakers are kind of like that. They have people who kind of figured out what works and it works really well. But this thing had, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I still don't understand how it works. They have a woofer that's about a, I guess it's about six by nine, like an oval shaped woofer, hmm. uh, down firing in the bottom. And it has, so it has two voice coils, like, like it has a single voice coil former, has a voice coil on the end of that former and a voice coil up, you know, by the cone, uh, hmm. by the spider. And in the middle of it, it's got a bunch of magnets. Huh? So it's kind of like a turbocharger sort of for the woofer. Interesting. And it's got a like a servo thing on there that tracks the motion and corrects it through, you know, they have a field programmable gate array in there that has all this custom written code to kind of control the uh, the driver's motion and correct distortion and make it not blow itself up. And they played this thing and they shot it out against uh, like a Sonos, a big Sonos that was, you know, I don't know how much money, and a, a fairly large Bose, and the really, really big uh, UE Hyperboom. Mm. And now it's more expensive; it's six hundred bucks, so it's a little on the expensive side. However, it 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 blew everything else out of the water. Interesting. And 
it was not even close. I mean, so I was, and, and also the, the, it was, it's not, you know, the, the, the non-bass part of it was pretty impressive too. They had, um, like woofer and tweeter on each side, or mid range and a tweeter on each side. And, um, yeah, they used some DSP sort of stuff to, you know, enhance the soundstage, but it didn't sound phony. It sounded really good. Yeah. And so, but the weird thing was, you know, they showed me like <laughs> the whole enclosure and, there's like no acoustical space for the woofer. The woofer's kind of crammed in there and there's no space around it. Hmm. It was really weird. But but from what I heard, it worked. It's coming out in about two months in March. And uh, it, I, I was super impressed. So this is like a, a very portable, I think it was seven and a half pounds. It's a very portable, it's Bluetooth, it's uh, Apple AirPlay, Mm. And also, oh, and it's a full-on Alexa speaker. It has a mic array in it and everything, so it oh, works like nice. a full-on Alexa speaker. Nice. Did so, you mention the price? Did I miss that? Six hundred bucks. Okay. Cool. And so, I was totally blown away. I'm really looking forward to getting my hands on it because um, your average person is still not going to spend six hundred bucks on a wireless speaker. No. Someone who wants good sound might, and, and who wants it to double as a home system might. Oh, and it's like IP. 57 rated so it's waterproof and yeah you know all that kind of stuff and i think the battery life's rated it i can't remember 12 hours 20 hours a decent amount yeah that's not um, bad and so it's like they kind of and there weren't there just weren't any gaping holes in <laughs> so to speak in this product like every question i asked them it seemed like they'd thought it out but they've been working on it for five six seven years very cool. So it can be like a really cool, like poolside speaker, I guess, or Absolutely. something like that. Absolutely, yeah. And, yeah. It, and, I, and I think it plays. You know, we were just in a hotel room and we did not have it super cranked, but we'll see how loud it can play. Because so, like that that UE Hyperboom plays really loud. Yeah. So uh, we'll see. I don't know, but um, I'm definitely looking forward to to messing around with it some more. And to me, that was the really groundbreaking product at this show. That's not a high bar, though, because there just wasn't much. I mean, everybody, I mean, I know three auto, I know, is that right? I know at least three audio writers who went to the show. Me, uh, Lauren Dragon from Wirecutter, and our good friend Jeff Morrison. Mm -hmm. And we were all, pretty, by, by the halfway through the first day, we were all kind of done. Yeah. yeah. So it's sad to me because I've spent, this, this was my 33rd winter CES, and so I've spent a lot of my life at CES. Uh, mm -hmm. and I've spent... 33 weeks at CES. Oh, wow. When you put it like that, holy cow, man. Yeah. I spent that put well over, in, that put well over half a year. And then when you count the summer of CESs, that's, that's another roughly seven. So it's about 40 total CESs I've been to. Wow. And, and it used to be like I would go, I would get there for the CES unveiled event, which is before press day. I'd go see everything I could on press day. I'd go to... Uh, and then I'd go to the show for four days, and at, the, at when the show ended on the last day, I'd still be out on the show floor getting demos. Yeah. And like staying, staying after the show had closed mm -hmm. to finish getting demos. And I think the first show I did was, was with you, and that was 2004. We stayed at the at the Las Vegas Hilton. Yeah. And like other than Alexis Park, which was a separate little hotel where all the high-end audio stuff was, everything was in 
the convention center, you know, North Central and South Hall. But it took us days to see it all, you know. Um, Yeah, that was that was my first. And then my last was 2018. And by by 2018, I felt like I had left the show seeing maybe five percent of what there was to see you know it was just sprawled yeah. out all over town and it was impossible to get anything and if you had to go from the convention center to the to the venetian it took you like three hours by yeah. bus and forget calling an uber you know yeah so um it changed a lot in those years but yeah it was one i was one year shy of doing 15 uh in a row so i did 14 in a row yeah. you did 33 holy Holy, that's amazing! Yeah, and I, 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 I was having lunch with uh, with someone right before the show, and I just realized, like, oh, wow, we have three more CESs to go. And she says, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, I'm going to retire." And but, but by the end of the show, I was like, "This is my last CES. I, there's just no reason for me to go to this anymore." Really, it's just a giant I, waste of time. I spent, you know, uh, it ended up being an excuse to socialize. Yeah, I socialized a lot. Yeah. And the number of new products I found was, uh, you know, three, four. Yeah. So, that, that, are, that were worth, you know, noting. So anyway, it's, I, I think it's dead. I think it's for, for, for audio. Now there's tons of smart, whatever stuff there. And, you know, if you're, if you're looking for, <laughs> I tell you, if, if you're looking for a new heat pump for your house, which I kind of started to do, um, yeah. The, the, for heat pumps, man, there were a lot of heat pumps on display. The very latest in heat pumps, which is very exciting. Wow. But it has nothing wow. to do with audio. Yeah. Um, so, and you know, even the big, the Samsungs and LGs and people like that that have these big giant booths, you know, they have sound bars in there, but they're rarely really demoing them in any kind of way where you can hear anything. And and there's all these people in the booths. It's like, and they'll have like a, I don't know, like a some TV screens that, you know, they're, and it's saying like, you know, boldly, leading the way into the connected future of something or another. And, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, and then, and like all these people are standing there watching this and these booths are packed and you can barely move. I'm like, what are they looking at? And like, yeah. so Sony, I'm going to start ranting now. Sony had a press conference, which I went to. And I think I saw like five people I knew. So Sony's, Sony's press conference, they introduced the new VR version of the PlayStation. Mm-hmm. They talked a lot about the new Gran Turismo movie. Yeah. And then they also showed a car that they're working on with Honda that's going to mm-hmm. be available in like three more years. Maybe. So, yeah, maybe. And it was a sedan. So <laughs> really, really nice, nice for the U.S. market to launch a, a new sedan. <laughs> um, so and, and everyone's just like, this is a giant waste of time. And they had basically no product in their booth. Mm-hmm. And I'm like. You go to Best Buy, there's tons of Sony product there. There's headphones, there's earphones, there's speakers, there's sound bars, there's TVs, there's God knows how many things does Sony make? Cameras. And yet Sony doesn't really show product at CES. Yeah. And that's just the trend. At least Samsung and LG showed product. They just don't really show it in a meaningful way, in a useful way. So at this point, you have to go like, why am I going to the show? Yeah. It's expensive. Again, it's it was really cheap last year when nobody went and the hotels dropped their prices, but the hotel prices are back to kind of what they were before. And 
Oh, God. I stopped going, like I said, in 2018 because it's just like – so I think in 2012, I started sharing a room at the show with Daryl Wilkinson. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was – and we started rooming together because that year, like on the most expensive night, a room that would normally cost you $29 a night in Vegas was all of a sudden 250 during yeah. the week of CES. And it's like, we better start, you know, we, let's split these expenses. So that was yeah. 2012. And I think it was $250 a night. And we were, I think like at the Omni or something like that. I don't know, not too far out of things. Yeah. The last year was 2018. We shared a room. We were at the Excalibur. It was $880 a night. Whoa. Um, at the stupid Excalibur? At the Excalibur. Yes. <laughs> Which wow. is not connected to anything way out of the way. I mean, at least we could get a shuttle. We didn't have a car like you. So we we did we had to stay somewhere where there was at least some sort of access to mass yeah. transit or something like that. Yeah. $880 a night. And that was when I was like, yeah, I'm done. I'm out. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and what's funny is at the time, at least I think CES was, although becoming less relevant for people who are into hi-fi, I thought it mm-hmm. was at least sort of interesting as a gauge of market trends, market forces, the kind of electronics that people are gravitating to, the kinds that they're buying. But like the last year that I was there, 2018, I felt even there was a sort of disconnect from that. And I felt like it was like, what is the purpose of this show? (laughs) Like it it doesn't even seem to be a worthwhile barometer for tastes in consumer electronics anymore, which may no. be why they were like, don't call it a consumer electronics show. It's just CES. <laughs> I don't know. I yeah, don't know I if that's so. the case, but it oh, kind of felt yeah. like that. I mean, that was, it's all smart this and smart that and health, wellness, monitor your whatever yeah. stuff. And But you know what? I'm ready to put a fork in this thing. Let's do it. I'm, uh, I'm, that's, this is, this is, unless something massive changes, this is my last CES. Farewell CES. I had, I had some great times. I had some horrible times. It was a big part of my life, but it's over now. End of an era, man. Yeah. All right. Let's go get something to drink, listen to some music, and uh, we'll be right back. Cool. Stage Audio Fall Podcast. I'm Dennis Berger. And I'm Brent Butterworth. And in this segment, I am going to learn some stuff from you, Mr. Brent Butterworth. Mm. There's a couple of new videos up on uh, a YouTube channel called The Headphone Show. I want to pick your brain about causing a little bit of controversy, a little bit of a kerfuffle, if you will. The first okay. video is called Say Goodbye to the Harmon Target. And what the video talks about it, the fact is that headphones.com is switching over to the new B&K 5128 um, as, as a measuring uh, headphone measurement platform. 
And mm-hmm. uh, that means basically they're going to be saying goodbye to the Harmon target curve. And there's a follow-up where they've got an FAQ where they're talking about sort of the whys and wherefores and answering questions and things like that. But um, boy, this has led to a lot of discussion. I think the last I looked, there were like 161 comments on the on the first video and like 100 mm-hmm. on the second. And I've never released a YouTube video that got that many comments. So quite the discussion here, but a lot I want to ask you about. But first, a couple of questions that I already know the answer to that I just want to ask you about for the for the benefit of our audience. Okay, what what is the B and K fifty one twenty eight, and why does it matter? Okay, and why are people moving to it? All right, so the B and K fifty eight that's Brule and Care. They are a very well established uh, Danish measurement company. They have been making headphone review gear for a long time. So the new 5128, which is not all that new. I mean, it's been kicking around for a couple of years now. Um, mm-hmm. They have the the original headphone measurement gear that was made according to the 1980s standard. Oh, 602. I cannot remember the, the number. But uh, 602.68-7, I think it was. Um that was a fairly primitive standard that was designed primarily for hearing aid testing. Mm. And it had it had some problems. It really only had defined response up to, I think, 8 kilohertz. Mm-hmm. And the ear that came with it had just sort of terminated in a hole. There was They didn't do any, any attempt to replicate the ear canal in any way, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... There's been a movement for the past oh, seven, eight years or something like that for headphone measurement companies to try to overcome these problems, to introduce uh, ear simulators that have some kind of reliable measurements up to 20 kilohertz, and also to introduce more anthropomorphically accurate ears that actually have like an ear canal. So the B&K 5128 is kind of like the greatest extension of that effort so they have a uh they have a longer so i have i have the latest uh, gross gras another danish metro company mm-hmm. i have the latest ears from them and the latest ear simulator from them and it, it's rated up to 20k and it has an ear canal that it's not a full-on ear canal but it goes oh uh, half an inch deep depending on where you measure from if you go from mm-hmm. the ear entrance point most of the research that we've that we've done about the correlation between measurements and listener preferences has been done on gross, right? Yeah, and it's it's been done on the original gear from the 1980s. Okay, mm-hmm. so anyway, I switched over to this gear. I don't know, three four years ago, something like that. And so, being case is a little different that they have a longer ear canal, and they kind of angle the microphone in there at an angle that's more comparable to what your eardrum does. So, of course, this produces a different measurement. And mm-hmm. what they're saying in this video is that, well, Harman Curve is is basically referenced to this old measurement gear. And so now we have to throw out the Harman Curve. And since Harman has not released a curve for other measurement gear, uh, you know, we have to, we can't use Harman Curve anymore. Now, I have a lot of points of contention with what they're saying here. 
can we real quick before we get into your your, uh-huh. your beef with this i think it might be worth explaining what we're talking about when we're talking about using the harman target curve as a reference because sure. in your measurements on soundstage solo that you've done you just uh-huh. basically raw frequency response here is a graph yeah. of you know at 20 hertz or you know 20 hertz it's here 30 hertz it's here 100 hertz it's here blah 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 along the way and and so but a lot of people who measure headphones would take and and you you look at the graph and it's closer to a flat line than the sort of you know mountain range that right. that you would publish right mm-hmm. and so what they're doing is basically saying it, 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 and, and tell me if I'm explaining this poorly, but they're taking that mountain range and saying, let's let's flatten that, right? And right. when we do a different measurement, what are the deviations from that referenced to sort of a flat line instead of the mountain range, right? Right. So so that's what that's what they're describing when they're saying they're using the Harman target curve as a reference. That is that is what they are. Everything is all of their measurements are deformed to the point to where the Harman target curve would be flat which is something that you've never done um at least right. on, on soundstage solo right. so anyway so it, i just, just want to interject that yeah, sorry in a sense what they're trying to do is when you use a curve like that as a reference you're trying to convert the headphone measurement which is pretty lumpy looking with a lot of peaks and valleys to a speaker measurement sort of mm-hmm. um with a speaker measurement you, you know we know what it's supposed to look like it's just it's very easy to understand it's supposed to basically be flat mm-hmm. and with headphones, though, you look at all these lumps, and it takes a long time to figure out what those mean. Anyway, what they are doing here is they are looking for something, since they have this new measurement gear, which SoundGuys also has. Um, SoundGuys published an article on this about, uh, it was in 2021, so it was a couple years mm. ago. They don't have a reference curve so they want to have a they want to have a curve that they can reference the headphones they measure to they don't have that right now because Harman hasn't published these curves for the b and k5128 however Harman hasn't published curves for i mean one of the, the, the unfortunate things about the Harman research it's, it's good science but it's not necessarily good engineering hmm. i asked them i said hey can you just send me the Harman curve data so i can incorporate it so at least I'll, I'll have it as a reference. And they, the data they sent me was measured with their own proprietary anthropomorphic ear because they developed their own ear mm. to do these measurements on. The original measurements were done on the Gross gear, but then they, the, the old the old school Gross gear, then they realized, oh, I, you know, th- this is, has, has some problems, so we're going to develop our own ear. And the curves they sent me were all from their own ear, so I couldn't really use them. And I don't, no, and you know when I told them, I said, "Well, I can't really use this." They were kind of like, "Oh, that, that's a good idea. Maybe we should do published curves on some other stuff." I don't know <laughs> if they ever did. When I was looking to maybe use Harman Curve as a reference, Doug Schneider said, "You know, the founder and publisher of Soundstage said, I don't think we should do that.'" He said, "I, I'm not. I'm uncomfortable referencing headphones to one manufacturer's standard, even if that standard is based on good science." And I would much rather you just just put a headphone that comes pretty close to Harman curve in as a reference with your raw measurements and show the raw measurement of the like a AKG K three seventy one headphone, mm-hmm. which is pretty close to Harman curve, and then show you know that's a closed back 
uh, 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 dynamic headphone. So if you're going to do a dynamic headphone review, show that and then show the AKG K371 so people can see how the product under test compares to a Harman Curve product. Okay, mm-hmm. And that's what I've been doing for a long time, and, and there's no reason not to continue that, in my opinion. One of the um, things I wanted to ask you about in the follow-up video from the headphone show is they they got questions from people basically saying, like, why don't you just do that? Why don't you just show the raw grass for everything and maybe do some comparisons? And they, they brought up this study from Cleveland and McGill, uh, graphical perception of mm-hmm. different measurement data, and they talked about something called the uh, parallel line illusion, mm-hmm. where the, when you're looking at these sort of curves, basically you, you miss – differences in 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 sort of slopes between them i I wanted to ask you about that and sort of like why you thought maybe that wasn't valid because they're showing like either curve and you look at it and you're like that looks similar and then they they show it if that was referenced to something and you're seeing these little anomalies that Mm -hmm. don't necessarily see in the original data what is your criticism of that all right so i will say when when i post my measurements the way Mm -hmm. I have been. I'm not telling people this thing needs to match this. Mm -hmm. As we have so often said, the Harman curve is descriptive, not prescriptive. Mm -hmm. Okay. If I do that, if I say, oh, this should match this, then the Harman curve becomes prescriptive. Mm. And it's telling people all headphones should match the Harman curve. Headphones should be judged by how well they match the Harman curve. Okay. Mm-hmm. If headphones don't match the Harman curve, they are bad. Mm-hmm. You won't you won't like them. Is the yeah. implication, right? I don't find that to be true. I, so, I I don't like that approach. I don't like the approach of like, well, headphones have to track this line, or they're bad, or you won't mm-hmm. like them, or whatever. And I also don't think that anyone anyone can look at these tiny differences in response in headphones and tell us how the listener is going to perceive that. So you can say, oh, here's these differences that you don't notice otherwise, but we don't know, you know, where's the research that shows those differences are meaningful? You know, I mean, we do know, we do know what constitutes a meaningful difference. You know, Harman did a lot of research on this way back uh, 20, 25 years ago. And, you know, they showed like how how wide you know how how uh, you know the Q and the magnitude of different resonances how audible they are. So we know that you know the higher the Q or the narrower the bandwidth of the resonance, the less audible it is. We know that you know uh, uh, peaks are more noticeable than dips and things like that. So people, you can figure that out, but you would need to be a pretty a very, very heavy-duty scientist to be able to look at a curve and go, well, that's that. And then you still might be wrong. Yeah. So yeah. I I don't like this idea that, like, oh, we got to reference everything to this. Mm-hmm. I've upgraded my gear, and it was a game-changer only in one way, in that it allowed me to do really meaningful and, and useful isolation measurements with earphones, which I couldn't mm. do before. Yeah, because you had to put them in the little stainless steel coupler, which is just a cylinder, and it just had no meaning at all. Yeah. So, uh, and the old ear was far enough away from a human ear that it, that was also pretty dicey in terms of. But the humans are great for that. And yeah. So, I don't what know the, what. Go ahead. 
Uh, one other point that I thought he made that was pretty cool was he was talking about the fact that the Harmon research, right, all of the research that resulted in the Harmon curve is not you can't reduce all of that research to the Harmon curve, right? The right. Harmon target curve is one aspect of the research and the research about the relative balance between base and travel. And also the sort of, you know, the slope, of the, <laughs> the yeah. slope of the, of the diffuse field measurements and, and whether a, a, a slope or like a, a, um, a shelf, you know, the, the relative validity of that, I've been dealing with that a lot. I'm reviewing the, um, NADC3050LE now, mm -hmm. which is a um, integrated amp that's got Dirac in it. Mm -hmm. And so Dirac is a room correction system for anyone who doesn't know. It basically takes and can remove anomalies caused by your room. I won't dig into it too much here, but but Dirac has their target curve of what a speaker in a room should sound like. Mm -hmm. And NAD has their target curve of what a speaker in a room should sound like yeah uh dirac's is a slope nad's has a shelf and what's interesting mm -hmm. is i find that it's not completely relevant in my case because i'm only running room correction up to about 950 hertz but two mm -hmm. octaves above the crossover frequency in my room so yeah so it doesn't matter as much but what is funny is i find I like a shelf better, but I don't like as high a shelf as NAD has, mm -hmm. and and I tend to transition it into more of a slope before it cuts off. But I found that discussion of the relative merits of shelves versus slopes interesting and fascinating for me personally, just because I don't know as much about headphone measurements. And so I thought that was interesting that it's, oh, that's something that applies there too, equally as well as it does to the in-room stuff. So do you have any thoughts on that, the sort of shelves versus slopes in, in terms of their diffuse field measurements? Or do you just find that uninteresting? I find it uninteresting. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't find there, there's everybody. Look, there's so many people researching this stuff. There's so many people out there running measurements now, and so many people saying things and mm -hmm. coming to conclusions. And I just don't find. I, I find Harmon curve is a good gives you a good idea of how a kind of a normal headphone sounds. And so if you a deviate, normal headphone that most people would like. Normal headphone that most people would like sounds, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. if you deviate from that curve, that means people are probably less likely to like it, but doesn't mean they won't like it. Doesn't mean mm -hmm. they won't like it better. Um and then there, of course, there are three variants of Harmon curve for in-ears and three variants of Harmon curve for headphones, which doesn't get talked about a lot. Um so Harmon Curve does allow for some individual preference. But yeah. my attitude is, hey, look, it's useful as something you can – I mean, I just measured a headphone and it was – or earphones. And boy, it was like massive bass, massive boosted bass, massive boosted treble. And you look at that and go, yeah, that might not be a great choice. Mm. Um, you know, relative to Harmon Curve and relative to lots of other things out there too. Because in my comparison charts, I'll put – a bunch of different things in there to try to show people the range of what you might expect. Mm -hmm. And things in many cases have gotten good reviews. All right. And, and also I have to point out something. Measurement gear changes all the time. All right. Yeah. And measurement techniques change all the time. 
I really think that like the, the idea that one new piece of measurement gear is going to come along and everything changes and all the old measurements we have don't mean anything anymore. Well, no, the headphones that sounded good to people last year or two years ago still sound good to people now. And the headphones yeah. that sounded bad to people two, three years ago still sound bad to people now. Those headphones are our reference. Okay. The public preference, the science behind the public that 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 found that public preference is the reference. That is what Harmon curve is. Okay. Yeah. Harmon yeah. curve is not, it might be referenced to a specific set of measurements on a specific thing, but Harmon target is not gone and it's still going to be there and I, I, you know, I've looked at other things other people are doing and in my view and you know I've seen you know sound guys has already published an article a while back about how they're trying to adjust their you know they have a brewing care uh, 5128 as well and they're trying to kind of adjust their measurements to to take into account Harman curve even though it's a different piece of measurement gear and, you know, uh, uh, headphones.com is saying, well, we're going to, instead of doing that, we're going to reference it to a modified version of diffuse field, which is the really, really old measurement standard that everyone abandoned. But, you know, their, their reasoning is pretty sound. I mean, I don't have an argument with it. But yeah. what I have an argument with is this idea that, that you know, oh, we're going to judge headphones by how well they track this one curve. And mm -hmm. if, if they're not on this curve, you won't like it. And if they yeah. are on this curve, you'll like it. Yeah, I just I, I think audio is more interesting than that, and it's a it's it's sort of like you know what, Art Tatum's the only is the best piano player, so I'm only going to listen to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a good way of putting it. Wow. So, you know, I just I have I I think there's I mean fundamentally look hey look what these guys are saying in this video is basically correct. But yeah. and it's correct, right? They 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 understand. I mean, this is a treat. I mean, they understand the technical issues here and all that sort of stuff. But as a really old guy who's done audio measurements for since ninety five or something, um, and who's also worked as a consultant as well. I mean, I've I've consulted for a lot of companies, and uh, I I found. A lot of companies want to, as I used to put it to them, you're trying to MBA this thing, as in Masters of Business Administration. Mm -hmm. And you're, they're trying to come up with a, a simple uh, you know, measurement procedure they can do that will guarantee their product will be well-reviewed and popular. Well, yeah. good luck. <laughs> and I, I told them all, I, I, I said, look, because a lot of these companies, you know, 10, 15 years ago, a lot of these companies, like major, major companies, really didn't have audio measurement capabilities to any extent. Some of them still don't. And yeah. so I would I would do the measurements, but I would say, hey, look, this is meaningful. This is something you should pay attention to. Here's another measurement, though, that doesn't. And then I, I do listening tests. And, yeah. you know, the especially with so many of these products coming out like sound bars and things like that there's no these things have so much audio processing in them and headphones mm -hmm. do too nowadays by the way sorry yeah. there's yeah. so much audio processing going on in there that you really still need to put the stuff in front of people to really get a good sense of 
what you might like and might not like, but that's that's expensive and hard to do, and yeah. nobody has nobody can achieve the Harmon did, but it's pretty rare when people can achieve uh, a decent sample size. I can't, but I can at least get a few people. You know, mm-hmm. the idea that someone's going to be able to run headphone measurements and provide their audience with a a rock solid, you know, recommendation that the the person's guaranteed to love, I don't believe in. I I, have not seen that happen. I frankly, this grass stuff that I have, you know, the higher resolution coupler and the anthropomorphic ear, except in isolation for earphones, it has not made a difference in my measurements. I still don't know what's going on above 10K. There's almost no research there. There's the Knowles, the so-called Knowles curve, which is a, a... variation of Harman curve and Knowles did research above that but they're the only ones to my knowledge who've done it and based on my experiments and and, you know reading the papers and everything it looks to me like it's it's got some validity but I still don't really no one's really talking about anything above 10k in their measurements so we have these high resolution couplers but we're not doing anything with them Mm -hmm. they're looking to run a measurement and say hey you this is you'll like this headphone you won't like this headphone well good luck I'll tell you what uh, what I do find heartening though is a lot of that. I don't know this gentleman's name that's that's in the headphone show. I'm, but I, I'm sorry. If yeah, you're dude, tell us your name. It. Yeah, like, I don't like know we do name. here on the Soundstage <laughs> Audiophile Podcast with Brent Butterworth and Dennis Berger. Yes. Yeah, see how hard was that? <laughs> yeah. But, so I don't I don't know his name, but I'll say there's one thing that's heartening to me is that a lot of the people that are in this discussion, a lot mm-hmm. of people that I'm seeing in this channel, and a lot of the people that are talking about Harman target curve and different target curves and headphone measurements and all of that. I'm looking at these people going, wow, I think this dude could actually hear above 10 K that's novel. Um, so I kind of, I kind of like that. That gives me hope for the future because so for so much of my career in audio, most of the people that have been dominating the discussion, I don't think could really hear above 8 K. <laughs> so you're <laughs> well, talking yeah, about, I, you know, what's that. going up above 10 K. I think it's, I think Good point. It, Very it good get, point. It, it, yes, it does. It does my heart good to see people talking about this and contributing to the conversation that could actually say something meaningful about what's going up above 10K. Yeah. So. And if you look at the comments on these things, they're pretty intelligent. And yeah, yeah. I think this is a pretty good place to wrap up this segment of our conversation. Do you want to take a break real quick and come back? Let's and, do that. Uh, that would be delightful. Talk- Yeah, cover this mystery topic that we've got. Yeah. All right, Ann. Well, we'll be back in a minute.
And we're back. This is the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast with your hosts, Brent Butterworth. And Dennis Berger. So we are here in our last segment, which we kind of introduced as a mystery segment. Although we did say that I would I would admit defeat, um, <laughs> which I'm going to. But uh, I'm going to reference an article on Soundstage Solo. And the article is titled, A Fond Farewell. And it's by me, yeah. Brent Butterworth. Mm. I am uh, I am actually leaving Soundstage. Yeah. So uh, this is not due to any, you know, mm. normally when writers leave a publication is because they're angry at the publication. Um, yeah. That is not the case at all here. I have been offered a full-time position at Wirecutter, which is a consumer review site that's very yeah. well known. And I've been working for them part-time for about, uh, well, 10 years now as a freelancer yep. or a part-timer. And they offered it to me and... It just basically means I don't have to beat my brains out anymore trying to kind of do two jobs at once. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I'm getting old, man. I, 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 I can't be staying up all night uh, doing headphone measurements and stuff anymore. Yeah. So not, not too often anyway. So I took it. And uh, now that doesn't sound say solo is going to continue. Our friend Jeff Morrison, who we should probably have on next time. Yeah. Um, our friend Jeff Morrison has taken it over. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've known Jeff for 20 years or so. This and is not the first time that Jeff has filled your shoes. That's true. He took over. I left uh, Home Entertainment Magazine. He took over as editor. And yeah. so, uh, you, you know, people, you, you if you're a reader of Downstate Solo, you've probably already noticed Jeff's reviews popping up here and there. Mm -hmm. And so this will be a nice transition. I think they're still working out who's going to do the measurements. Um and I'm going to probably keep – I told them I measure anything that can get to me by the end of the month. So I'll have yeah. a probably maybe a month's worth of measurements in the, the can there. But um, – and, you know, oh, my gosh. You know, headphone measurements are so controversial and complicated. <laughs> we uh, should talk about that sometimes. Who yeah, we should talk about that. <laughs> yeah, it be a good topic for future conversations. Yeah. Uh, next, The next episode of the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast is going to be my last, sadly, and – Doug, yeah. our publisher, is still figuring out how he's going to transition to a couple of new hosts for that. But I imagine, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be my last two. You know, uh, people, yeah. the few people that we've talked to this about just assumed that I would keep going without you, and and I have two. Two, two, one. I asked them all, have you ever seen the 30 foot bride of Candy Rock? And they were all like, no. And I'm like, yeah, there's a reason for that. That was the last movie that Costello made without Abbott. <laughs> and it was, it was terrible. Huh. And there's wow. just, yeah, there's, there is, look. A, a a a soundstage audiophile podcast without Brent is a soundstage audiophile podcast without Dennis, and and it's just we're we're a duo, we're a dynamic duo, yeah. and I think our dynamic has what has made this first season of the podcast work. So we are going to try to pass the baton over to a new duo who has their own dynamic and their own history and their own chemistry. And we think, you know, that's going to give them the opportunity to change things up, to have different perspectives than ours. I'm hoping whoever takes over for us, maybe they disagree a little more than you and I do, because mm. that would be interesting yeah. and entertaining. But um, yeah, it's been a good run. We've been at it for a year now. Yeah, I just have to. So my, so I'm admitting defeat because our old friend Ernie Fisher, who's the former ask, yeah. editor and publisher of uh, the Inner Ear Report, mm -hmm. um, 
<laughs> has been constantly has been tormenting me on Facebook for years, basically telling me <laughs> I'm just a kid. I don't know what I'm talking. I'm 61, by the way. I'm just yeah. a kid. I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't have the experience to be reviewing audio gear, <laughs> which I've been reviewing for 30, 32 years now, something like that. Yeah. And uh, so, Ernie, you win. <laughs> he got rid of you, He man. was right. He was he right. I'm just, he was right. Wait. I'm just not up to the task of this, of reviewing audio gear. <laughs> <laughs> is I, that what he was right about that's what he was right about he's right okay. i'm just not up to it and, and my career has washed out and mm. it's all over I'm, well i'm still doing wire cutter but that's more like you know sound bars and stuff like that yeah um, but uh which to to ernie and a lot of people don't count as audio gear but uh yeah i'm i'm I, i've washed out of the audio industry man i failed <laughs> my career's over <laughs> On a more serious note, I wanted to talk about this article because you you made some really interesting points here and, and sort of laid out a timeline that I hadn't given much thought to. So you launched you launched Soundstage Solo when was it uh, 2013? Was it right? No, uh, no, it was more recent. I think it was 2019. 2019. No. Oh my gosh, it was 2018. No. 2018. Okay. But even in that short time, like the headphone market has really, really changed. Oh God. You yeah. sort of laid out some of the changes and, and, and how it has evolved and, and point to where it's going. I thought that was really interesting. So do you want to talk about some of that? Like some of the changes you've seen in just the short time that you've been doing soundstage solo? Sure. Well, you know, when, when we started, well, I, so I started with soundstage nine years ago and mm. that was 2013. Mm. And, I think the first, my first things were toward the end of 2013. And uh, I, if memory serves, I think Doug just hired me to do some measurements. Because the first, my first, I went back and looked at my old invoices, and my first invoice for them was just for measurements. Mm. And, but then it quickly evolved into me basically writing, doing headphone reviews for Soundstage Experience, writing the monthly column in there, uh, although it was not headphone specific. Um, I was free to trash people across the whole audio spectrum, not just <laughs> headphones. And um, so, but then I think it was around, but you know, soundstage experience has a lot of movie reviews and things like that, that have nothing to do with headphones. And so I finally talked Doug into doing a headphone specific site. And I want to say that was 2018 probably. Okay. Um, but so when we first started this, Bluetooth was kind of not a thing. It existed and it was in some headphones, but it was more like uh, those those trucker headsets mm. that truckers wear that you can find at truck stops and like nowhere else. Um, yeah. And it was starting to make its way into headphones, but they were all like so bad that you know we didn't review any. Uh, yeah, there were there was there was no such thing as audiophile Bluetooth headphones. It was a lot of really basically cheap stuff, and almost I don't think I think it was three years before I reviewed a Bluetooth headset one of the things that is always one of the things i've always appreciated most about the way you write the way you cover technology you know whether it's way back in the day doing home theater stuff or more recently headphone stuff is um it's always struck me that you're not very interested in solved problems, right? You're you're after the unsolved problems. Right. You're 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 a wild west kind of guy. You want to be in the unexplored unexplored territory. So, 
I kind of figured that there would be a day when you would walk away from primarily, you know, headphone coverage, but maybe, you know, when everything had kind of been figured out, right? Do you think we're close to that point or, or, or is there any unexplored territory left that you maybe lament the fact that you can't explore? Well, I still will probably get a chance to explore some of this stuff because I still help out on wire cutter with the headphone measurements and stuff. That's true. But, you know, I'm still exploring some things like noise canceling. Um, you know, wire cutter has a single number noise canceling rating, which I developed and which yeah. I kind of, you know, I ran a quick panel with like four people just to confirm it and did it. But I'm trying now to do a more structured scientific kind of test that really establishes that because there's so many people who say, oh, our, our, our headphones reduce noise by 30 dB or whatever, but they don't in any way define that. And mm -hmm. there are ways to define it and accurate ways to define it. And I am still going to do that kind of stuff. But yeah, you're right. I, I'm not interested in solve problems. I'm not interested in headphone amps, okay? Because you yeah. know what? They work fine. Um, yeah. I mean, and, you know, when you have me saying that and Critical saying that, who's a very well-known uh, headphone reviewer guy, yeah, uh, I'm sorry. And, and no one else presenting evidence that, you know, counters our contentions. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Maybe we have a point. You know, I, I think we know how to voice headphones. And we, there's going to be some variance and different manufacturers want to do different things. And people will like that or not like it. And... Mm -hmm. That's fine. All I can all I can do is say, hey, here's where these are in the spectrum of headphones, and but the, I, you know, the, I just don't think that there's a lot to be, and, and you know, of course, there's the whole spatial audio thing, and there's a lot to be explored in DSP with headphones, mm. um, which makes the measurements really, really hard, and yeah. sometimes meaningless. Yeah. So there's a lot to be explored here, whether or not people will pick it up and explore it is the big question you and i have talked about ways we would like to see the soundstage audiophile podcast evolve under new hosts mm -hmm. um i want to ask you how would you like to see soundstage solo evolve under the new leadership of jeff morrison well jeff's writing is already more entertaining than mine <laughs> that's a big step forward jeff's just really funny writer um and I would like to see them. I have limitations on my measurements. The the actual ears and you know fake ears and ear simulators I use are great, but I have a, a Audiomatica Clio, which is still a good device, but it is it is really hinky to get uh, Bluetooth measurements out of it because of the delay, you know, the, the latency. Mm. And a lot of times I can, and I'm almost always able to find some way to compensate for it, but. Uh, I'd like to see them get somebody in with an audio precision that can more, as far as I know, from what I know from going to their seminars, not from actually using the gear, but from going to their seminars, it appears they have a much better plan for dealing with latency than Clio does, which is no plan, basically. Mm. Um, so I think that, especially with, with True Wireless becoming just such a big part of the market, I think having more consistent and more probably accurate measurements of true wireless headphones 
will be, and, and Bluetooth headphones too, will mm-hmm. be a, a really important and wonderful thing if they can pull that off. Cool. Well, I think it's about time to wrap this one up, Baba. Yeah. You ready to ready to do some credits and roll on and start preparing for our final episode together? Yeah. So, uh, okay. So this was a production of Butterburger Productions. Yeah. Yeah. That means that uh, we recorded it. We engineered it. And one of us mixed and mastered and edited. It, and yeah. <laughs> we'll figure that out after we hit stop. Always I don't know. do. We're a presentation of the Soundstage Network, which is a collection of nine microsites that cover all sorts of topics on audio from, you know, very affordable stuff from headphones to connected audio to super high end and everything in between. Who's doing music this time around, man? Let's let's do some more of my music since we only have two more to go. And <laughs> yeah, I want to get all the free promo I can. <laughs> I'm working on a new album. And so I like for people to hear my music and maybe you like it. Maybe you don't. But if you do like it, you can kind of maybe follow me on Facebook or something like that and kind of keep track of what I'm doing. And you can get more of my stuff. Cool. Stuff like that. So what else do we have to credit? We don't. We just say goodbye. Okay, we can do that. All right. Bye, everybody. See you in a few weeks. Bye. Oh, wait. I just figured out another way they can make the podcast better. They can do it in Atmos. (laughs) 